listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Special Reports on Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti, and I'm the host for today's show, which is being recorded in Chicago at the Clio Cloud Conference, which has returned to the beautiful Radisson Blue Aqua Hotel. We're here to cover this event for you, our listeners. And joining me now, I have three guests that cover two of the educational tracks here at Clio. So I'm going to introduce them in turn, and I have them say hello. So off to my left, I have uh, Miss Billy Tarasio. Good morning, Lawrence. (laughs) Good morning. And next to her, I have Mary Juden. Did I pronounce that right? You did, Lawrence. Excellent. Welcome. And uh, next to her, I, of course, have Mr. Duncan Stewart. So what I was going to do is have you guys introduce yourselves because I will butcher it at this point. So let's uh, let's start back with uh, Billy. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Where do you work? What do you do? Okay, thank you. Yes, I'm an attorney. Uh, I have a law firm in Phoenix. We do um, family law. I also have a a software company that uh, does document automation both within the firm and then forward-facing for the uh, litigants who want to represent themselves. I've been married for about 13 years, and I have four kiddos. Great, great. And uh, Mary, how about yourself? Well, I presented with Billy uh, today, and I am also living in Phoenix. I am not a lawyer, although I have a JD from the U.S., and I have two accounting designations, so I'm a recovering accountant. And I have created a legal technology company and also a membership organization called Evolve Law. And my automation company, I should mention its name, is Tracklight. Excellent. And Duncan. So I'm the co-author of Deloitte's annual TMT, which is Technology, Media, and Telecommunications Predictions. Deloitte's been publishing these for about 16 years now, and with Paul Lee in the UK, we produce an annual document looking at changes in the TMT industry. Uh, It goes out around the world, and we like to think it's the most accurate forward forecast. Okay, and uh, just just for my benefit, what's a TMT? Technology, Media, Telecommunications. Okay, great. I also have four kids, if that helps. (laughs) Okay, since we're talking about how many kids everyone has, I have two of my own and two stepkids. So I think Billy still wins, though. Yeah. Wait, so four plus two plus two plus four. So oh, everybody has four kids. Oh, my okay, God. Okay, so you four. had five. Wow. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of food going in and out of the fridge. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, let's get to it. So I brought you guys down to talk about these track educational events that are being featured at Clio Cloud Conference. And so I want to start with Mary and uh, Billy here. You guys were on the uh, Business of Law track. And so your presentation was called Firm Performance Measure, Measure, Measure. So I want to volunteer. Who can give me the 50,000-foot analysis as to what that was about? So this is Mary from 50,000 feet. Measure, Measure, Measure was about providing a framework so that law firms can measure their business of law. Okay, and so I'm assuming that metrics plays a role in this. You guys are measuring certain types of metric. And so what are some of those metrics? Like uh, what's a good way to business or, or measure your business metric? What are you looking for? We talked about the traditional attorney firm metrics, and then we talked about business metrics that are not typically introduced within the law firm. And we um, talked about what happened in my law firm when uh, my husband, who's a corporate guy, came in and brought those business metrics in, and we started analyzing things like net promoter score and um, conversion rates of leads and conversion rates of consultations, and started using that to really measure individual performance 
performance and firm performance and then started making tweaks based on the data and what happened? So we looked at the traditional metrics which really focus on input or supply of billable hours and we broaden those in terms of what is actually the throughput in your firm because it doesn't matter how much you bill, it's all about how much you actually collect in the end whether you're doing flat fees or billable hours. Cash is king is an old accounting saying, but it's all about looking at your revenue versus your expenses, and we talked at length about measuring the cost of acquiring a client, which is something that lawyers often don't measure, and when they do measure it, they look at it as only sales and marketing, as opposed to any time of theirs that needs to be imputed or calculated in there, and it's really not how much the lawyer or paralegal gets paid, it's how much they would have been billing, the old opportunity cost. Excellent. So uh, I want to turn the conversation to uh, Duncan. So you you were uh, presenting in an event called uh, Technology Trends and Implications for Legal Firms. Now this was inside the legal technology track, and so what, uh, what was the 50,000-foot uh, version of your presentation? Well, because I'm not a lawyer and because there are so many fascinating firms directly dealing with legal technology, we took it back a notch. So what we ended up looking at was some of the bigger ideas out there. Are lawyers going to be displaced by artificial intelligence like IBM's Watson? Um, what about the quote-unquote uberification of the legal profession? How close are we to having significant disruption of the legal profession? So I kind of, in the first half of my talk, took a look at artificial intelligence, also the Uber business model, but I also looked at digital disruption across multiple industries, saying, does it always look the same? Is, you know, what's that old Gertrude Stein uh, quote, uh, a rose is a rose is a rose, and sometimes digital is not the same as digital. Take a look at print newspapers, crushed, crushed by digital. Print books, on the other hand, enormously resilient and almost unaffected. So that kind of high-level strategic thinking basically allowing the people at the conference to apply the lessons that we've seen in other industries, perhaps, to their own legal profession. Okay, and you guys were all at the keynote today, right, uh, that Jack was presenting at? Jack was talking about a lot of those things. He was talking about uh, technology, and he was talking about uh, client expectations, and talking about how the uh, expectation for the way that you interact with your client changes. And the reason I bring that up is because you're kind of kind of dovetailing into it a little bit uh, there, Duncan. You're talking about you know disruptive technologies and things like that. So. Clio learned that people are not now wanting to interact with their attorney, not so much by the phone call, which I think is kind of surprising to me, just because that's the way I'm used to it, to interacting with mobile devices. And uh, and so what are some of the predictions and trends that, that you're seeing with this? Give us an example. Well, we spent a fair bit of time, the second half of my talk, was looking largely around this idea of what's the preferred technology, not merely for all people, but for millennials. Uh, I have uh, four kids. Uh, uh, 19, 20, 22, and 25, and my joke is every night at dinner is a millennial focus group. And one of the things that we've discovered is, not just through my kids, but through broader research, is that the younger people, 18 to 35, these millennials are not the post-PC generation. They they love their smartphones, they, they adore their smartphones, they sleep with their smartphones, but at the same time, for certain kinds of transactions, high value or extremely complex transactions, they may continue to use their desktop or laptop computer bigger screen, bigger keyboard. And it's that idea that the channel to the younger audience is, yes, mobile, and it may even be mobile first, but it's probably not always mobile only. 
are you looking at this? Uh, the computers are kind of the foundation, and then I guess the uh, the mobile device is an extension more personal, or? It's probably the other way around. Okay. Mobile's probably the foundation. Oh, wow. So mobile first is probably right, but the PC is, the way I like talking about it is like the, uh, uh, remember back in the days when ATM bank machines came out, um, you know, you'd go to them almost all the time. You needed your passbook updated, you needed some cash, you needed to make a deposit. Going to the ATM was something you did maybe almost daily, but you still went to the bank branch maybe once a month, maybe a couple times uh, a quarter. In the same way, mobile may be the dominant device for many young people, but they will still use the laptop on an occasional basis for that complex or high-value transaction. Obviously, when it comes to legal, there's stuff like signing a form, which is pretty trivial, and you could do that on a smartphone. But when it comes to reviewing and collaborating on a multi-page document, that's something that you might want to do, once again, not on phone, might want to do that on a bigger screen. Can I just add something? Yes. Also have millennial focus group, 1919, 2121. And uh, I just see the, the difference between actual interaction. Personally, not a millennial, obviously, but I don't answer phone calls when I don't know who's phoning me. Yeah. And, and I'm not in the millennial group. And, you know, I, there's no point in phoning my children. If I phone any of them, they think something terrible has happened because otherwise I should just be texting them. But it's interesting because I see more and more attorneys moving to iPads, and maybe Billy can talk about this. It's that step in between mobile and then, you know, your iPad's not necessarily hooked into your, um, you know, using it as a, a phone or a texting. It's more about using Clio or using some of these other platforms on a, a tablet. I think that's a must. Yeah. Well, and I'd actually like to take this conversation in a slightly different direction because is that clients want to do transactions digitally, but clients want to have personal emotional conversations, not via email. And one of the struggles within my law firm is for people to recognize where that line is. When is it more appropriate to pick up the phone or have an in-office meeting, which is still required when you are working on highly emotional issues. And for litigation attorneys, litigation is highly emotional. Yeah, I think that's a tough place to draw the line. It's one that, uh, just the difference between me and my uh, girlfriend, uh, you know, she is more text interactive. I'm more phone interactive. And I think anybody that's uh, is done like sales, which I have not, I, a lot of times I do with this with clients, is that I like that personal connection, that phone connection. But as I'm coming to learn, there is another way of doing this. And people want, some people want an arm's length uh, distance that some of these these mobile devices and these apps made for them give you. And so they want to collaborate with you. So they don't necessarily want to talk to you. They don't want to say, hey, this is awesome, kind disregards, whatever, at the end of their emails. They just want to do the work and then ha hear a comment. And so it's kind of interesting. I think it's a really good point. Where do you where do you bring that up? And it almost seems like to me that it's almost client to client. You kind of have to know in your head, all right, this person prefers text, this person prefers calls, this person just prefers me to do the work and be quiet. So uh, it's kind of an interesting place to be. But I want to circle back to your metrics. And so, uh, sorry, Dunk, I got to circle back to the metrics here. Now, you guys are talking about the cost of uh, acquiring a client until it turns into actual revenue. And so I think law firms, this is a very difficult thing for them. They're, they're so focused on providing a good service experience to their client. I think running the business just seems almost like a uh, distraction from doing that good work that gets them hired. And so 
some of the other things, you know, as far as like watching revenue. Um, so you, you're tracking how much uh, acquisition cost for a client is, but but what are some of the other revenue-based metrics that lawyers need to be focused on in their practices? Well, the big takeaway from my firm and what we talked about in our session was one of our business practices included giving away free phone consultations. And we really wanted to provide as many people the opportunity to hear from us as possible and then allow them to make the choice. But when I started looking at the data, the data was showing me that we were spending many, many hours and thousands of dollars doing these free phone consultations, which translates to the cost of customer acquisition. But it wasn't until the data was blaring me in the face that we had a terrible conversion problem, and then we started making changes to our business model that really fixed that issue. Okay, so I kind of like in the service industry, focus on supply chain here a little bit, these different connecting points. Okay, that's great. Because a law firm, you do supply hours or you supply services at a fixed fee. It doesn't matter. And people seem to think with KPIs like, oh, that means I have to change the way I do everything. No, it's just putting in actual measurements so that you can take a look from 50,000 feet and look at all the different areas of your practice. But it's not just the billable hours you supply. You have to actually look at collections. You have to look at then how much money or time are you putting in as a law firm partner and what is your return on that investment? What is your ROI, which is something that you don't usually hear in the law firm setting? I like ROI. It's a, a great term. So return on investment. So uh, just to kind of give us some baseline. I mean, what are some good percentages? What are some good dollar figures that let's just say for a solo or small firm, what's the cost of, of getting a client cost like in terms of percentage or dollars? Well, so what you hear all the time is a third, a third, a third, right? A third to the attorney, a third to overhead, and a third to profit. But that is rarely the reality of a solo. Um, solos spend a whole lot more money on people and less money on overhead, hopefully. I mean, with the availability of the cloud and, and the softwares, there's no reason that we need to spend a third on our overhead. So. I think that it's really taking a look at where are we at and where do we want to be. And so for my firm, my goal was, okay, I want to spend, let's say, 40% on my people. And I want a profit margin of 25%. And I want the overhead to be what's left over. And I think it just gets back to, it depends. It depends what kind of law you practice because right. it's very important when you're measuring, okay, what is the lifetime value of this client to me? Well, if you're a one and done type law practice, you know, might be a, a litigator or hopefully it's a divorce attorney that's only dealing with one divorce. So measuring that value is going to be different compared to someone who's a business attorney who's trying to upsell because it's much less costly to acquire new matters by upselling to existing clients. Duncan, let's uh, let's get you looped back in there. So now you were talking about uh, you know the leading first with uh, with the mobile devices, and then you know the but people still want to interact with a larger screen, a little bit uh, like a you know your laptop. And so, what were some of the other messages that you were making as part of your uh, presentation today? Uh, as far as trends that lawyers need to be looking out for? Well, I mean, there's stuff I didn't talk about because 
you know, the whole conference is about it. Cloud, I hear cloud is going to be a big thing. So, you know, that's one of the ones I don't bother <laughs> talking about. It's sort of, uh, everybody knows that one. One of the things we looked at, for instance, that I think is kind of interesting for the legal space is the future of print books. Uh, a lot of people saw what happened to the uh, CD when the MP3 came along, and some very smart people predicted that the e-book was going to take over in the same way. We have e-readers, uh, even young people own the devices, but uh, interestingly, both in the U.S. and around the world, print books have really hung in there. They're down a little, but e-books tend to be about, you know, 10-15% of the market in some, some places like the States, but in most of the rest of the world, they're under 1%. Even more interestingly, younger people are more attached to print books versus e-books than older generations. E-readers e are, in fact, largely an older person's device. And I think that has some, some fascinating lessons. The idea that, you know, what happened to print newspapers, print magazines, print directories, print catalogs is not happening to print books. Now, we use a lot of books. We use them to learn. We use them to teach. We, we study. The fact that we remember what we've read in print on page longer and better than what we read on screen doesn't matter for Twitter but it does matter for an awful lot of other stuff that, that people need to keep in their heads for years. Well, that's interesting because, you know, I, I sort of wonder if, like, the reason you learn better from a physical book is because that is what you historically learned on, you know, like the Cornell method, writing in the margins and, and, and being, like, uh, proactive as you're going through your studies. Like in law school, I carry that same method over to law school. I'm scribbling in the side of the margins and I'm doing outlines. And so I'm almost wondering if... If that's it works better because that's the way we were originally taught. Now we're being forced to uh, not forced, but we're being suggested that we should go to a cheaper electronic model. There's been some research on that. The answer is no. Uh, okay. Even people who hadn't, uh, people who've grown up entirely on eBooks, still read better on print. There's some theories as to why that ability to make notes is part of it. Um, the resolution is subtly different, but probably the most important thing is that books are three-dimensional. Think about how many times you've read a book and you go, hang on, I, I remember this picture, this, this case, this precedent. It was about three quarters of the way through and on the right-hand side was a picture of a wombat. Okay, I, the wombat's not true. But, but that, that ability to store information in a three-dimensional space is apparently how the human brain remembers stuff best. And at the end of the day, when you're reading a print book, you're reading a print book, you're not getting auto notifications that Taylor Swift has just done something else. <laughs> not that I'm objecting to Tay-Tay, but I just, are, I think are there you, are times. Are you, uh, Duncan, are you a Swifty? Oh, no. I'm a Swifty. Are you a Swifty? Oh, yeah. Billy's a Swifty. I think Mary, she's fabulous, but not that big of a Okay. Well, I think it's a great place to leave it for uh, for today. So uh, anyway, I just, but I do want to give everybody that came on the show today an opportunity to uh, give some contact information for some of our listeners if they want to reach out and learn a little bit more about what you've been talking about here at Clio Cloud and on our show today. Uh, how can they reach you? So I think, Billy, we should start with you. Sure. Well, my Twitter handle is at MyModernLaw, um, and I'm on the app, so I'd love to connect with you. Okay. Mary. My Twitter handle is Mary Jutton, and that's Mary spelled normally, and then J-U-E-T-T-E-N as in Nancy. And Duncan. I'm at Dunn Stewart on Twitter with a W in the Stewart. But also, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, uh, and one of the neat things about Facebook is that you don't have to be my friend. That, that sounds weird when I say it, but there's an option called follow, so that you can actually be out there on social media and see the longer form stories. As you may have noticed from my answers on the podcast, it takes me more than 140 characters to clear my throat, uh, <laughs> so I prefer the longer form of uh, Facebook or uh, other, other things like that. Oh, fantastic. Well, this has been another edition of Special Reports. I'm Lawrence Coletti, signing off from Chicago. Until next time, thank you for listening. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thank you.